have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Allie, we're going to hear from Carrie today about how she had a very poor experience with her own therapist and how some poor boundaries and some uh, abuses of power um, influenced how she sees herself as a therapist and her work moving forward. Yeah, and I think we think people uh, often look at our titles almost like uh, when you look at the Onion article where they think we're talking about actual bad therapy, which is not what we do here, but it might seem like it on first glance. But we are going to be talking today about her experience with not so great therapy, but how it led to, again, this influencing her style, her experience as a graduate student, and talking about how we navigate intentional self-disclosure. We had our own therapist set an expectation or an example for us that was not a good example. How do we rectify that and move forward with our training on ourselves as therapists? So we're going to hear from Carrie. And just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself because we don't like bad therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 83. Girl, same. Let's get into it. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so excited to chat with you today about boundaries. Um, But before we do, can you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a a clinical social worker in Massachusetts. I work both uh, remotely seeing clients throughout the state virtually as well as um, in person. I have an office located on Cape Cod. Um, I am a trauma therapist. I work specifically primarily with trauma, complex trauma or PTSD that has happened within religious or spiritual communities. Um, I'm also a trauma sensitive yoga facilitator. So a lot of body based work as part of my therapeutic practice and my own healing practice. Um, and I think the most important thing about me is my dog. I'm a dog mom. My dog comes to work with me. She meets with clients with me. Um, So she is the most important thing to know about me, I think, ultimately. Harry, I love that. What's your dog's name? Her name is Janie. Shout out to Um, Janie. I I think 
I think we're recording video. There's mm-hmm. a portrait of her <laughs> right oh above my me. She's beautiful. <laughs> Listeners, please go to the YouTube video to see that beautiful portrait. That is stunning. That's so sweet. Yeah, thank you. Oh my I gosh, we love it. My little dog Dash is with me in my room too. So if, mm. if we uh, take our headphones off, they can bark at each other a little later. Yes. I love it. And Tuna is not a dog, but she is very dog-like. My cat Tuna is the office manager. She's always here with us too. So shout out to all of our pets. Takes cameos. She does. She'll, maybe she'll <laughs> pop up. We'll see. She'll like to come walk across and say hi. So again, listeners, if you're not watching on YouTube, you should go. You're missing out. Yeah. Tuna, <laughs> Tuna surprises. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Carrie. Also, side note, I have to say my like semi-retirement plan is to do art therapy on the Cape. So like we have to talk more about where you're at later on um, because it's my happy place in life. But Mm. we'll talk about that later when we're not recording. Why don't you share with us um, what made you question what story are you going to share if you were a bad therapist? Yeah. So I think the topic that come has come up before I started my career and well (laughs) into my career is the use of self-disclosure and how boundaries um, operate in the therapeutic setting. I mean, I think that we are, I'm a millennial. I work with a lot of millennials and Gen Z clients. And I think that the way we approach self-disclosure is shifting rapidly. Um, and we're kind of like in the middle of it, it feels like in the middle of this change. So I ask myself a lot, am I a bad therapist for my for what I do self-disclose or what I don't self-disclose or like how to like walk that fine line. Um, yeah. That is such a common question in my head as well. Cause, um, Allie and I are both active on social media, obviously. Mm. Um, and I can't help but think or reflect back on how self-disclosure in the therapy room has progressed or how it's changed along with this social media, social networking phenomenon on the internet. And Mm. I don't think it's any surprise that all three of us speaking today are, you know, younger, I would assume than the age of 40 and, um, you know, of the younger generation of therapists who grew up with social media and having a public persona or an online persona person, um, in addition to a professional career. So you are so not alone in that. And I'm really grateful you're bringing it to the to the podcast today. Can you tell us a little bit, like, how did you first become aware of self-disclosure in the therapy room as a social worker? What was your training like? Um, yeah. How did you, how did you come to start doubting yourself online? Yeah. So I think, I mean, backing up like to the very, very beginning of my career before I even went to grad school um, and I have a master's in social work, but at at the time before I had started grad school, I was working in a therapeutic day school with elementary and middle school students. So the conversation about boundaries was understandably coming up in that context a lot, you know, what is appropriate to share with students and um, yeah, like what, what can we talk about to connect with them, but also where should we draw the line? Um, So that, and I was, you know, maybe 22 at the time. So still really figuring all of this out and unpacking my own sort of trauma consecutively, like in a parallel process with this. Um, 
and that is relevant, I think, to my story because I was just really hurting at the time. And I had moved from, I grew up in Vermont um, and I had moved to Massachusetts and so felt like very alone, didn't have community. And I had, you know, I was working in a therapeutic setting. So there were lots of therapists, lots of clinicians around. And I really started to connect with several of them. Um, And one in particular had invited me to like, just chat more about what was going on. I had had some deaths in my family at the time. Um, And I think it's relevant in this case that it's a middle-aged white man who was this person who approached me and kind of befriended me and said, you know, like, do you want to talk about what you're going through? And, you know, at the time I was like, yes, I have no one to talk to. Um, So he was a clinician in the school that I worked at, but also had a private practice um, on the side. And I think another like important part of this story is that he was a person who also took on interns um, within the school. And my, at the time I knew I was going to grad school and thought I wanted to be a school counselor. And so had my heart kind of set on doing an internship at the school that I worked at, and he would have been my supervisor. Um, So all of this kind of rumbling around in my mind, I also grew up within a high control religious context in which um, middle-aged white men are the authority on pretty much everything. Um, So I think I was really primed to enter into what I think was an abusive situation at least an abuse of power within the therapeutic relationship. So, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I ended up meeting with this man, my colleague, right? Like this is a coworker. He was not, he he was a therapist and I was at the time a paraprofessional. So he was in a bit of already, there was a power dynamic at work. Um, And then he, you know, invited me to chat with him and I didn't, realized that what I was getting into was a therapy session. Um, So I think number one, informed consent is really important to talk about. Um, I think that's a part of boundaries is like, do I even know what I'm getting myself into? Um, Which I I didn't. Um, And I just remember going to his office thinking like, this is a friend that I'm going to be able to like, talk to. Um, And I didn't really have a framework for therapy. Mental health was not something that was talked about in my family or my church community growing up. So I had no idea what was appropriate and what was not. Um, Again, like I said, I was, I was primed, I think, to think that men were an authority and that if this man was a therapist, you know, someone who specializes in mental health and was saying that like I needed therapy, then like, of course he was right, because I was just, I had not unpacked any of that um, religious harm. Yeah. And I remember being in his office and my whole body was just so tense. And I, yeah, I have so much compassion for that younger version of myself that now I can see like my body was like, no, get out of this. Um, But I didn't know to listen to my body at the time. And so I ended up working with him for about a year. Um, I had started grad school during our time together. And so this is where I think I started to question, like, is this an appropriate therapeutic relationship? Because I had no idea 
Um, and I really feel that the onus was not on me at the time to know. Um, but so this man continued to be my coworker, was my therapist, which <laughs> it's very weird to go into work and have your therapist be working with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, in our therapy sessions, would bring up things that he'd seen me do at work. Like, Ooh. we should talk about this, like a very psychodynamic type of approach. Yeah, your facial reactions are so validating. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know at the time. I was like, this is what therapy is, um, because he was not doing this just with me. There were several young women within the school, um, like people that I knew where that the boundaries were just really blurred by this person. Um, And so at the same time that I was doing therapy with him, I was also in grad school starting to learn about boundaries um, and starting to learn about self-disclosure. And at the time when I was in grad school, kind of the gold standard, I think, was that the therapist is a totally blank slate. Um, I remember having a a discussion in one of my classes. It's like, well, should you wear your, if you're married, should you wear wedding rings when you're working with a client? Because should they know if you're married or not? And um, so like that level of how much can a client know about me? And so this man was, not only were the boundaries really blurred because he was my coworker, um, I also just like, because we were coworkers, I knew so much about his personal life which was really inappropriate because then I felt like I was in a position of, well, I can't just leave this therapeutic relationship because he has a family to take care of. And, you know, a lot of the people pleasing tendencies popped up because I knew his wife and I knew his kids. Um, can I, can I jump in Carrie? Cause I'm trying yes, to put please. myself in your <laughs> shoes as a student, as a grad student, so here you are being, you know, getting psychological care therapy. What is, this was healthcare, right? He was providing healthcare to you, correct? Yeah. I mean, it was through my insurance. Your, your insurance right? Okay. So you were getting therapy, yeah. outpatient psychotherapy um, for several months, if not a year. Um, and you're in grad school and you're learning how to build rapport, maintain appropriate boundaries with clients, how to ethically provide psychotherapy, hopefully. And so, dual relationships. Dual relationships. <laughs> yes. So here you are living one thing, thinking this, when you met him, you thought he was this gold standard-esque type of a clinician, right? But I would assume you're hopefully learning the opposite. What was that like to have those two, uh, that juxtaposition between your own therapy and what you're learning to do? Yeah, I think it created a lot of cognitive dissonance within me because, you know, one of the things that I struggle with looking back is there were some ways that he was really helpful. Um, Ironically, um, he really helped me set boundaries with my parents, um, which ended up being incredibly useful. And, you know, now I can look back and, and just like, it doesn't make sense. I think that's a lot of it. It feels so much like this doesn't I don't know what to make sense mm-hmm. of this. Um, you know, and I didn't, I, I went for a master's in social work. So I wasn't, 
at the time I was in the beginning of my program doing it part-time. So I wasn't getting a lot of like the clinical Mm -hmm. stuff. It was a lot more like policy kind of like the broader macro work. Um, But I do remember I was in an internship placement while I was working with him. And I remember feeling like unsettled about continuing to work with this man and bringing up to my supervisor at my internship, like telling her about the situation. It's like, is this right? It's like, is something, am I doing something wrong by continuing to work with him? Um, And I remember her response was, was something like, yeah, like that seems weird. But like, if you feel okay about it, um, like, I guess you can continue, like, you can decide what you want to do. But yeah, it's a little weird. And I don't know that I was ready to hear that. Um, because this was also a person that I thought was my friend. I mean, talk about like, boundary violations. I just saw your face there. How does that feel, Carrie, to say that now? Like, you, you almost rolled your eyes when you mm. said that. What was that like to share that you thought he was, was your friend? Yeah, I... Yeah, I I have unpacked this so many times in therapy sense with good therapists. Um, And it's still just, I still feel so unsettled Mm -hmm. about it. And and I question, I I often question like, was was this really a bad experience that I, was this really an abusive experience? Um, Because there were so many ways that like I was being manipulated. Like I can see it from the outside. But sometimes it happened to me, right? So it's still sometimes like, um, you know, I I was listening to a previous podcast of yours with um, the woman who who ended up reporting to the licensing board of her supervisor. And she talked about um, feeling like she was betraying this person. And I think that is the feeling that I notice come up. It's like, even it's talking about this, even... Um, betraying, even though cognitively, I know I don't owe this person anything. Are you wondering, are you a bad therapist? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yes. (laughs) All the time. Well, Well, you're in the right place. (laughs) That's that's what you're saying. It's stirring up. You were learning, you were getting care from, and yet this was inappropriate and an abuse of power. Yeah. And you're, yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. And I can absolutely relate. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Since you're here, we're going to assume that you already like learning from other people. And if you want to take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join us on the network. The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work. Yes, and we value the Bad Therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast, and it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the Therapist Network, and it's just a gift that keeps on giving, and you really should come join us on the Therapist Network. Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network, and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here. 
And I'm coming to you today because Ellie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. I even think of like how you must have felt like I'm going all the way back. I've still been stuck on, like you said, you went to the office thinking it was a chat. Like I'm here, like I was your body starting to respond when you realized like this is not there. Like this is therapy. <laughs> like now I'm doing yes. therapy and I didn't even like, know that part. It's like fucking with my head even of like, I'm like, oh my yes. gosh, I can't imagine how you felt in that moment of like thought I was going in for a chat. All of a sudden I'm doing therapy question mark. Yeah. Yeah. I I never felt comfortable, but I was so used to being uncomfortable in my body mm-hmm. that I didn't, now I can look back and recognize those cues. I mean, I remember just being so tight, like my body was like shaking. Um, and I, well, so growing up in a, in the religion that I did, I was taught to distrust my body. Like You can't trust anything that your body says it's bad. So I, at that point had not started to heal my relationship with my body. Um, but yeah, I remember like something is not right. Like my body is shouting at me that this is not right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I ended up, so spoiler, I ended up being his intern (laughs) at one point doing the internship at this school. I thankfully knew enough to be like, I don't think I should be your client and your intern. That seems like a boundary violation. That's where you drew the line. But also, you, you drew the line. You drew the line. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not not them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh um, and, and that, I think, is when I became his intern, that's when I started, I think, to realize, like, nothing about this was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a moment where I was his intern, previous therapist, therapy client, previous coworker. So he knew so much about like my relationship with my partner, like knew everything about me. Right. And, um, I remember confiding in him about some, a conflict that had happened with my partner. And he, he told me like, you need to break up with him. You can come sleep on my couch. And I remember that moment being like, Whoa, this is something's wrong here. Um, and I think that was really the moment where it took me a little bit to realize that like this relationship was never okay. Um, because it caused like a lot of tension within my, my partnership, my, with my partner, because this was a person that I trusted. Um, 
And first of all, a therapist should never say that to a client. And I'm very mindful now of never telling my clients what they need to do. That's, that's not my role. Um, but yeah, I think from that point, I, I started to unpack like, okay, this was not normal and not okay. Um, and it it's, and this is why we have boundaries mm-hmm. and why we limit self-disclosure because it can be so incredibly harmful when those things get blurred or crossed. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can imagine like, I'm curious how now, or even at this point of like being a student, like you're in your internship, like you're starting to develop your own therapeutic style. Also mm-hmm. realizing this relationship, I feel like for myself, I could even be like, I would see myself swinging the opposite direction of like, I can't ever self-disclose a single thing for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life. How did you navigate, you know, your experiences Mm -hmm. on the other end as a client going through looking at these relationships and then being a therapist? How, Mm -hmm. how did that happen? What does that look like for you today? Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think that it has hugely impacted how I relate to my own clients um, and really understanding why self-disclosure and boundaries are things that we talk about. Um, So I went on to work in community mental health once I graduated um, and had some really fabulous supervisors who were really helpful in this area. And I talked a little bit about kind of my past experience because I think I, I became very guarded around people in authority um, and around my own experience. So yeah, I think I really, didn't use self-disclosure at all during the first couple years of my career. Um, And I think that may have been more appropriate for the settings that I was working in, but it was also definitely a reflection of my experience. And, and, you know, I think this is where my questioning of, am I a bad therapist or could I turn into a bad therapist kind of started because this person that I had trusted I I started to see the the darker side and you know started to think like that was a bad therapist and like what if I become one so yeah I became very I think professionally guarded um and it it wasn't really until I started my private practice well so the story continues I ended up actually going back to this school as now a licensed clinician, had my LI, my my independent license, um, was a school counselor and ended up again working with this person. Um, And I think it was really there that I had a much different relationship with my body, with my nervous system. And I was really able to pick up on the cues that my body was like, you can't be here. Like you need to like say goodbye to this place. Um, you need to like cut off all contact with this person. So it was after that experience that I decided to put my my all into my private practice and really examine a lot of these questions. Um, and I think it has taken me a little bit of time to f- figure out what I feel comfortable with as far as self-disclosure and boundaries. I mean, I certainly have much different boundaries, I think, and I'm much more aware of of the type of boundaries that I set with people and just the way that I go about doing therapy. I mean, this person was not trauma-informed, not um, not like body-based at all. It was very an authority. It was very much an authoritative, like 
cognitive behavioral approach, which as, as much as CBT is an excellent resource, I think that experience with him using CBT for me um, really left a bad taste in my mouth. And so I, I don't use CBT because like, it's almost like a trigger for me. Um, yeah. Did that answer your question? I feel like I'm rambling. It feels so wonderful to be able to like share all of this out loud. Um, Cause I don't know that I really have in a public way before. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense and answered the question. And I feel like it's so helpful because I feel like unfortunately so many people have had experiences like this. Like I didn't have such an intense experience with a therapist self-disclosing, but I had a previous therapist use a ton of self-disclosure very early on in my career. And very similarly, it just kind of made me question myself almost because I recognized, and this is when I was doing EMDR therapy too, which is like very intense and emotional. And I was talking about these experiences and they would say like, oh, I had very similar experience, things like that. But that, and I, that was it. And it felt like it was more about the therapist and not about my experience where it took me out of my own moment Mm -hmm. that I was then, even as an Mm -hmm. early therapist being like, well, are you okay? Like, what do I say to that? Like, this is my time, damn it. And I'm going to take it and use it. Like, so I feel like it happens far too often that we might not talk about it. And then we might not talk about how it does impact us as a professional when we experience things on the client end or even in like a supervisory relationship we just talked about or we talked about where the supervisor uses, um, you know, their supervisee almost like a therapist. So it's definitely Mm -hmm. so, so relevant and important to hear about. And it's such a great story of like, you might not be alone in this. Like, again, even if it's not to this level, I know so many people will be like, "Mm, same, like you're listening to this. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I know so many people who have been in the same situation with this person. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Carrie, given, you know, what advice we ask all of our guests this, but what advice or what, what would you tell uh, another maybe early career professional who's trying to integrate maybe their experience of bad therapy um, with maybe how they want to be as a therapist moving forward? What, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think uh, it's such a good question. Um, I think that number one, self-disclosure is not a black and white issue, first of all. So it's not like a you go all in or you don't use any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing is if you think your experience was harmful in any way, it was. Like you don't need someone else to tell you or to validate, although it has been so healing to have people validate that like what I went through was not okay. Um, but if you feel in any way that it was not okay, like that is valid enough. Um, I think it's also, despite that early experience, I think therapy has been so beneficial for me. The healing therapeutic relationships that came after that. So I think another thing is like keep keep searching. If you're a therapist, especially keep searching for a therapist that you resonate with that is boundaried, like ask lots of questions, um, interview them, be willing to say this isn't working for me. Like you're allowed to end this relationship at any time for any reason. Um, And that's something that I say to my clients now too. I want them to never feel locked into this relationship. Um, 
Yeah. And I think another, uh, another thing that I wish that I had done that I would advise people is like, get consultation, get supervision from somebody else. Um, and like, if you're wondering about anything, like run it by people. I have now created like a really lovely network of peers and um, other professionals who I can run things by. So mm-hmm. you don't have to sit with all this alone, which I think is, I, I thought that I did because I thought that I had done something wrong. Like I was the bad person in the story. Um, and now I know I wasn't, but it was really helpful to to talk with people um, to realize I'm not alone and I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong necessarily. We love that. And how about for self-disclosure? Like, do you, I know it's never black and white and there's no one question, but do you have kind of like a series of either questions or how do you now like ask yourself, is it appropriate to use? Like what guidelines, like what does that look like for you that you might share as well, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I sit with these questions a lot, especially now that I have more of a social media presence, although I try to be really balanced in that. Um, And I do, because of my specialty in religious trauma, I share a lot about my own experience, um, which was something I had to sit with for a while. And so one of the main questions that I ask myself is, whether it's online or whether it is in a session, is this use of self-disclosure for me to feel validated or heard, or is it for the benefit of my client? Um, that is like not a black and white question either. I think it's very nuanced, but another thing that has been helpful is specifically for what I share online is if I share something on the internet, online, on my podcast, how would I feel if a client brought that up to me in a Mm -hmm. session? Um, and that really helps me sit with like, if I'm uncomfortable and talking about this, with them in a session, then maybe I shouldn't be sharing this publicly. Um, yeah. And, and I think like very, very basically is my self-disclosure in any way harming a client or is my, are my boundaries in any way harmful to the client that I'm working with? And I think because I work so yes, I think about this in an online way, but I also see people in person. So I live in the same community as many of my clients. And so that's another layer of um, boundaries and self-disclosure, you know? So I talk with the clients that I meet with in person, like, how would you feel if we saw each other out in public? Here's how I would approach it. I would not talk to you unless, you know, like very standard, I won't talk to you. You can come up and talk to me if you would like to. Um, how would you feel if we were in a yoga class together where I'm like half naked, right? Like those are real questions um, to think about. How would I feel if I'm at the beach and I see a client? Um, so I think that living in the community that many of my clients do also makes me really aware of um walking that line between letting myself be human, right? Like I can't, being a therapist is one role and one hat that I wear, but that's not everything. It's not all of who I am. So I need to give myself a little bit of room to like be human too, um, but also be mindful of the way that my humanness might be perceived by the clients that I work with. 
So well said. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that, Carrie. That's so helpful and such a great view of how to look at it. We love that. Um, So if our listeners would like to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I am not as active as I used to be, but I'm still there. Um, So my my business page is Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy. Um, I also have my own podcast, Your Friend the Therapist, where I think a lot about self-disclosure and boundaries. Um, and you can follow that on all the places where you get podcasts and on Instagram at Your Friend the Therapist pod. Carrie, thank you so much. We will link all of those in the show notes and hopefully we'll be back with more bad therapist stories soon. Yes. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you, Carrie. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to StopBadTherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 